before we go any further, I want to give it up because over the last 11, 12 weeks, we have had an amazing tech crew who has pulled off some incredible online experiences. And so I want to say in advance to Sam, Sarah, Justin, Libby, Jess, who are all around here, will you give it up to them for making it every single week, hours and hours and hours. And while we were online, uh, I need to give it up. I believe here at Riverside, we have the greatest teaching team on the planet. There's Pastor John, there's Pastor Dana, there's Pastor Sam, there's the First Lady, Rachel Richardson. Will you give it up for our incredible teaching team that navigated through this? And so today we start a next chapter of Riverside Community Church. And we know parents, you're in here right now and you are trying to get your kids to be as quiet as possible for the next 30 minutes. Okay, don't let, that's my mom laughing. She knows you're not going to be done in 30 minutes. But parents that are in here right now, let it go. It's okay. Take a deep breath. If your kids want to holler back at me, I'm fine with that. If you're antsy right there, you're, you're my kids right there. That's like my old teaching days back together. But we're excited to be together today for a brand new experience, a family service that we're looking at. Now, I have to tell you, we had plans all set for this summer of what it looked like when we were coming back. If you have been following us over the last few weeks, we've been in the middle of a series called The Games We Play. I had a message written for this week ready to go. But as you know, over the last couple of weeks, our country has looked a lot different. And so if it's all right with you today, the message that I had planned will probably never see the light of day. Because God put something else to share today on my heart. And I'll tell you, as I planned for this, I really prayed, what could I share in the midst of everything going on in this country? See, I'm a, I'm a white pastor trying to speak on what is going on racially in our country. See, I don't know always the right words to say. There's this pressure, if I'm honest with you, to be the spokesperson for my race. And just the other day, as I was praying, overwhelmed with what to share with you, an amazing man in this church named Ron Wilson. He's an elder. He and his family serve. They're a key part of what goes on here at Riverside. Ron, Patricia, Paris, Paxton. And just in the moment that I was preparing, what am I going to share, feeling very unqualified, Ron called me up. And as he got on the phone, he goes, I know what you're probably feeling right now. And can, he tell you, can I tell you from my perspective, here's all I want to say to you. And he goes, I know you're hearing lots of opinions. In fact, he said, I know for the last three months, you've had opinion after opinion in your inbox. Even today, some of y'all have opinions. Where you're sitting, we should have opened sooner. Guess what? I'm just trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in this church. That's all I can do. That's the only person that I'm accountable to. And so Ron got on the phone and he said, hey, here's all I need you to do. 
I just want you to continue to love me. That's all I'm looking for. Just continue to love me and my family. And can I tell you, that changed everything. Because Ron's son, son Paxson, my son Ben, they're the same age. Most Sundays you can find them together swerving in and out, having a drink, eating a snack together. And when I look at Ben and Paxton together, a black boy and a white boy, can I tell you, I have hope for the future. I have hope for the future. See, and I'm just going to preface it today. I may not say it all right today. I may say some things that don't come out right. But where I keep landing is that I can't not say anything. I'd rather say something that comes out a little bit wrong than to stay silent in this season. See, I was last up here with you on March the 8th almost three months to the day when we were last together in our downtown location. And a lot has happened since then. See, we didn't know what was coming. But as I keep saying to so many people, none of this has caught God by surprise. No, none of this caught it by surprise. See, this isn't new to him. Inequality isn't something that's just been around our country for the last few hundred years. You need only go to scripture and you can see that Jesus was dealing with inequality even back then. You open up your Bible and during Jesus' time, it was common to assign different values to different races, to different genders. Back in biblical times, women, children, foreigners were seen as less than. See, they were mostly regarded as property-owned by the male heads of households. They didn't have any rights back then. Foreigners would actually be employed in bonded labor, working off their debt. There were times that they would probably never even hope to have ever been free. See, Jesus himself talks about that in one of his parables in Matthew chapter 18. And at that time, one of the major divisions was between the Jews and the Gentiles. And some Jews who had joined the movement of Christianity were still trying to force the Gentiles to perform Jewish rituals. They said in order to be a good Christian, you still have to follow the rules and the expectations and the religious activities that have been set out for us. But Paul, never one to shy away, rather than telling the Christians to ignore the discrimination against the Gentiles, he actually attacks it head on in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 5. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say it in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say who will, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand and it is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by 
openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone, regardless of your skin color, your family, your history, your background, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the same. It says, confess your sins with your mouth and then believe and receive. You don't have to go to great lengths to achieve righteousness. By the law, it says we can immediately receive righteousness by faith. Paul is essentially saying here, stop achieving and start receiving. That good news, the gospel, it doesn't just mean that we're brought near to God. It also means that we're brought near to those that we look down on. Those that we didn't have time for. Those who we once considered different from ourselves. God restores our relationships through reconciliation. A buzzword that you hear a lot these days. But reconciliation is comprised of two things. Reconciliation is removal and restoration. Removal of prejudice and restoration of relationship. See, when we do that, when we reconcile to one another, it brings us to a healthy appreciation, a healthy understanding of one another, no matter our backgrounds. See, Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. I love that. See, when you have Jesus at the center, he exchanges hostility for harmony. For harmony. And each of us here today, and each of us watching online, we all have a voice. But can I ask you today, what are you speaking? Just a few days ago, I saw somebody say, I'll start loving when they stop looting. And can I tell you, it hurt my heart. And the Holy Spirit does some amazing things. He guards my tongue. He guards my texting fingers so many times. But what I felt is when I read that, I wanted to say to that person, how about you start loving while they're looting? See, because that's how the Lord is with us. It's not conditional. 
he doesn't just love us when we're good. He loves us when we're bad. He loves us when we do things that people don't understand. And he loves us even when we're sometimes outside of the will of God. But he loves us in spite of it. See, our voices, they have power. See, we can either entice people to violence or we can encourage people to peace. What are your words speaking? If you are a leader in any vicinity, in any avenue, your words are powerful. If you're leading a family or a Fortune 500 company, everything rises and falls on your leadership. See, when you're talking, you can either add to the chaos or you can advocate for calmness. What are you doing in this season? See, parents and grandparents, it's up to us. It's up to us to teach our kids, our grandkids. And see, I believe it starts with respect. I believe it starts with respecting other races. Respecting our teachers. Respecting our leaders, those people in authority. See, people wanted us to come back a long, long time ago. And people got angry with me, y'all. When I said, hey, we're going to respect our authorities. See, I'm not just going to say that when it works out for us. I'm not just going to preach that when we like the situation that's going on. No, we're going to teach our kids to respect authority. And for some of you, that's brand new. You weren't raised in a home that taught respect. And this is brand new for you. Can I tell you today, it's okay to leave what you've learned. It's okay to allow the Holy Spirit to start doing a new work on your heart, a new work in your life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, when you transform the way you think on the inside, guess what? The outside will follow. The way you interact with people, the way you love people, the way you look at people. And I'll tell you right now, the Lord has been doing a work in my life even over these last few weeks. Because one of the things that I've learned about myself as a 42-year-old white man that pastors a church in the heart of the city, I still have more work to do. I've had to start educating myself on what's going on. And for me, there's two things that I love to do. I love to read, and I love to talk. And y'all are like, we know. We know you do. And the more I read and the more I talked, I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable of what I had allowed my life to be about. And one day as I was reading and studying, the Lord said, sometimes you have to feel uncomfortable so you can get uncomfortable. 
And so as I've been reading, I've read lots of books. On the screen, you'll see six books that I'm in the middle of. It drives my wife crazy because she can only focus on one book at a time. I read numerous ones bouncing back and forth. And we'll share this so you don't have to write it all down right now. But if you want to join Pastor Michael's book club, I feel like Oprah right now. These are some books that I've read. And can we put those back on for just one more time? I'm so sorry. I talk too much. There's a book called White Fragility. It talks about why white people like myself feel so offended sometimes when we have conversations about race. There's another book called The Color of Law, which talks about how local and federal decisions actually helped us, so bad word to say, have neighborhood segregation. The two books in the middle, I think, are vital for our church. A book called Woke Church and another one called Be the Bridge, how the church can help in racial reconciliation. And the two on the bottom are two books that I read a long time ago, but I pulled them both off my shelf. Between the World and Me, where the author is writing to his teenage son about what it's like to grow up black in America. And the last book, The New Jim Crow, how people are swept into our justice system. Many of the laws on the books that target poor black men and why mass incarceration has become such a big deal in our country with our black brothers and sisters. See, if you want to start somewhere, read the Bible, but then educate yourself. Start with one of these books. Start to read them. See, I not only have been reading, but I spent a lot of time talking. You don't have to write it all down. A couple weeks ago, I was I shared a couple two ears and one mouth on purpose. So we listen twice as much as we speak. Some of y'all, can I step on your toes a little bit? Some of you need to start listening twice as much as you speak. It got quiet, so I'll move on. I see Pastor Sam who is up here. We do something called Staff Chapel every single Tuesday. And even while we've been away, we've done it on Zoom. And Pastor Sam shared what it's like to be a black man growing up in Peoria. He's endured things that I can't even wrap my brain around. On Thursday, I spent time with an amazing woman called Erica Baird. She's a huge part of this community, a huge part of this church. And she shared with me what it's like growing up black in this community, what her kids have had to endure. And so I want to tell you next week, we're going to take a break from our normal services. And next week, we're going to have a conversation. I've invited some of my friends just to sit down with me on this platform. And if nothing else, to educate me, to teach me what do I need to know and so I want to invite you, because sometimes when we have conversations about race, people are like, I am not coming back to that. It's a great way to stay home. Can I tell you, more so than ever, you need to be here next week to educate ourselves. If we are a church in the middle of this community, we need to start reflecting what the community around us looks like. See, as I talked 
to Erica as I talked to Sam, it opened my eyes about what is going on in this country. But see, we're not just going to read, we're going to rely. We're going to rely on the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. We're not just going to talk, we're going to trust. We're going to trust that the only one who can figure this whole thing out is Jesus Christ himself. It starts and ends with him. See, I believe that Jesus is still in control. I still believe that he's the only answer for everything we're dealing with right now. One of the greatest joys in leading Riverside is there we're a multi-generational church. One of the greatest challenges in leading Riverside Community Church is that we're a multi-generational church. And I say that because whether you're here today or you're watching online and you're 3 to 83, you're not too young to learn and you're not too old to change. I truly believe that. It's a process for each and every one of us. And you need to know today that God isn't looking for your perfection, but rather he's looking for your progression. He's seeing that you're taking steps to get better, to get closer to him, to allow him to work in your life like never before. See, I, I struggled through coming up with this message today. Because I'm legit the last person that should be up here. See, because over my 42 years, the vast majority of them have been spent in a city called Pekin. Pekin, as soon as I say that word, your mind instantly probably goes to images. Things you've heard. Even things you've experienced. If you're not familiar and you're new here, let me give you a walk through our history of our city. In 1920, the census showed that there were 31 black people in Pekin. Just a couple of years later, in the early 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan moved into town and the city actually became the regional headquarters of the KKK. They eventually bought our town newspaper strictly to start spreading their propaganda, to start advertising for their, for their racist behavior. By the census done 10 years later in 1930, only one black person remained. By 1940, not a single was on the books. It became known as a sundown town. It meant that you better be out of there before the sun goes down or it's not going to be good for you. That's my home. That's where I grew up. And you see, you jumped back several years ago and I was on, again, this silly little game show. And as he came out of here, people would stop me in the store. And they would say things like, thank you so much 
for there being something good about Pekin. For giving us something to be proud of about Pekin. And every time I heard it, it hurt my heart. Because that wasn't my experience. See, my mom's sitting over here today. And my mom never uttered a word, never taught me to look down on people just because of their differences. Just because of the color of their skin. In fact, she would take me aside and would say, hey, every single person you pass by matters to God. See, I tell you that because I have friends in this room today. Friends from Pekin. And I'll tell you today, not every single person that comes out of that community is racist. Just like I believe that not every single police officer is racist. See, but for Rach and I, it's where we've chosen to raise our kids. See, I tell you that because I believe the rich of five, we are going to make an impact in the city that we call home. See, I tell you, wherever you plant me, I'm going to shine. I tell my kids all the time, I could call them up right now, and before they start walking to their friends, before they hop on a bike, before they go to our backyard, they know what I'm going to say to them. Be a leader, not a follower. You're going to lead by example in this family. We're not going to be like everybody else. God has planted us here, and we are going to shine the light of Jesus no matter what gets said. See, and throughout my life, when anyone ever found out where I grew up, they would instantly say, oh, I know what you must be like. And so oftentimes I would say, hey, no, don't worry, we're cool. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. And I would even be so naive that I would start to think in my head and sometimes even articulate it to them, hey, here's how not racist I am. I would say things like, hey, I have black friends. I grew up with one of my best friends. His name was Russell. We lived in the same apartment complex. We played in the stream. We got dirty. We rode bikes. We went on swings together. See, I had a black friend growing up. But listen, one day, a mom came out. And there were three of us playing together, myself, Russell, and another boy in the neighborhood. And the mom came out, and she said, hey, you can play with Michael, but you're not playing with that boy. And looking back on that eight, nine-year-old kid, I'm so disappointed with my choices because I moved away from my friend Russ to play with the boy who was more acceptable in my neighborhood.
who is more acceptable in my family's eyes, maybe even my eyes, my neighborhood's eyes. See, as I got older, I could tell you, hey, I don't tell racist jokes. I don't even laugh at racist jokes. But my very first job, I'll never forget it. We were in the back, and one of the gentlemen I work with, he told racist joke after racist joke after racist joke. And I didn't laugh at them. I didn't tell my own joke. But guess what? I never intervened. I never stopped. I never stood up. In college, there was a time before race. Hard to remember. And I actually dated this black girl. And a member of my family found out about it. And I'll never forget the words that were said in that moment. And I remained silent. I remained silent. And I'll tell you, looking back, my silence spoke volumes. See, I never spoke down to my black brothers and sisters, but I never spoke up either. Martin Luther King Jr. said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. See, it's not always just what bad people do. It's often what good people don't do. And see, I believe in this season, we as the church, we as Christ followers, we can no longer be silent. We can no longer be silent. And some of you right now aren't even sure where I'm going with this. And you're like, I'm going to tune off right now. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord has given us this platform in the city. In the heart of this city. And can I tell you, we are called to steward it well. We are called that liberty and justice for all. It's not just people that look like you or look like me. It's for every single person that was created by our Heavenly Father. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. See, today, I think you have two options. You can lie or you can love. See, you can lie and say, I love God, but I don't like that person that's sitting two rows socially distant in front of me. I can say I love God, but I don't love that person in my workplace. See, I truly believe that that spits 
in the eye of our Heavenly Father. We can lie or we can love. And over these last three months, I've heard lots of preachers preach about why this is all happening. Can I be honest with you? That is way beyond my weight class. I don't know why the Lord is allowing this to happen, but I believe for some of us, he's trying to wake us up. See, I believe that the Lord is coming soon and he's giving you these opportunities. He's giving you this opportunity to come into relationship with him. You only need to turn on the news, scroll through social media, read a newspaper to know that I believe things are probably going to get worse before they get better. And the Lord is trying to tell all of us, you better get your life right. You better get your life right with me. See, he's coming. And let me ask you today, do you know him? Do you truly know him? Do you have a relationship with him? And I'm not talking about the relationship you made when you were six or seven years old and you've gotten so far away from that. That's not going to cut it. The Lord says, I'm inviting you back. You only need to watch over these last three months to know that life is fleeting. There's some of you in this room today, those of you who are watching online, and you have lost loved ones in this season. Some completely unexpectedly. You weren't even able to be in the room to say goodbye to them. And the Lord's saying, don't miss this opportunity. If you've wandered far from me, I'm inviting you back. I'm inviting you back into relationships. See, behind me is a snapshot of black men and black women who have lost their life over the last 10 years. Some names you recognize, some names you don't. But each person on this screen woke up one morning not expecting that that day would be their last. Thinking that they had a life ahead of them. And their life was tragically cut short. See, and I hope that all of those names, that one day I'm going to see them in heaven. But I know the reality is, is that too often so many of us just go through the motions without putting the Lord first. Every single name on here thinking they had a full life ahead of them. Listen to just a list. Eric Garner had just broken up a fight. Ezeal Ford was walking in his neighborhood. 
Tamir Rice was playing in a park. Philando Castile was driving home from dinner with his girlfriend. Botham Jean eating ice cream in his living room. A Tatiana Jefferson babysitting her nephew. Ahmaud Arbery on a jog. Brianna Taylor asleep in her bed. George Floyd had just come out of a convenience store. All of those names and many others, they didn't know that their life in just a few seconds was about to take a tragic turn. See, you never know today when your life is going to end. This could be it. I look forward to being back here with you next week, but I know the reality of it is this may be our last time together. And I don't want to walk into heaven one day and not see you there. So today I'm going to give you the opportunity. We're not done yet. God still has bigger plans for this church. God still has bigger plans for you and your family and your future. But the greatest decision you can make in times of uncertainty like this is I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm putting my life in his hands. See, every tragedy, every death, every funeral is an opportunity for the Lord to get our attention. See, this last month is just a reminder that life does not last forever. Each of our days are fleeting. But what can I tell you? That God can take a tragedy and change your trajectory. So in this moment, I want every single eye closed, every single head bowed. And in this solemn moment, I want to invite you. I want to invite some of you for the very first time to give your life over to Jesus. It's the best decision you'll ever make. But for some of you, you know, man, I once put my faith and trust in Jesus, but man, I've wandered so far away from his best, from the path that he has for me. And Michael, you're talking to me right now. I don't just want to be another name on a list. I want to know that my place is secured in heaven. And so today, wherever you are in this room or where you're watching from online, without anyone looking, if that's you today, and you're saying, Michael, I want to enter a relationship with Jesus for the very first time, or I'm coming back to him with every eye closed, will you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you today? If that's you, and say, I'm coming back to Jesus, or I'm giving him my life for the very first time, I see your hands. I see your hands. You may put those down. 
whether you're in the balcony, whether you're on this floor, will you just pray this prayer with our brothers and sisters? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today, I say I'm sorry. Today, I'm asking to enter into a relationship with you. Be the Lord of my life, the Lord of my heart, and I will follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. See, if that's you, yeah, give it up. See, all of heaven is rejoicing today that we had eight people in this service alone that put their faith and trust in Jesus. It's worth sitting in the balcony. It's worth being roped off from some of my friends because people are still finding life in Jesus even during this season. See, in church, I believe that this is our moment. Can I tell you today, don't complicate God's will for your life. Love people and point them closer to Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. See, at Riverside, we believe that the pillars of our church, people are our passion, and Jesus is our pursuit. But it's going to take every single one of us every single one of us moving forward. And we as a church body, the devil would love nothing more than to come in and find cracks to divide us by how we look, by our backgrounds, by what's happened to us in the past. But can I tell you, church, more so than ever, a divided world needs a united church. And you needs a united church to move forward. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. See, 20 years ago, God started to speak to an incredible man of God. He started to say, I want you to leave all that you know, and I want you to plant a church in the heart of the city. I will never miss an opportunity to honor my pastor, Pastor John.
See, over the last 20 years, incredible things have happened through this church and through Dream Center Peoria. But can I tell you, I truly believe that the church is here right now for such a time as this. See, there's a community outside of our doors that echo Ron's statements that are saying, I just want you to love me. Continue to love me. And I'll tell you, as a church, you want to know where we're going, we're going to continue to love people that are not yet in this room. And I'll tell you, when I watched that video, of George Floyd with a knee to his neck, can I tell you, it sparked something in me. It woke me from my apathy. It made me believe that we cannot just keep doing church as usual. We don't move forward as normal. And somebody said to me not too long ago, they said, hey, you know, if you start talking about this stuff, it's going to affect your church. You know, if you keep talking about this, there's going to be fallout. Some of you are sitting here today, and you're like, I don't know that I'm going to go back to that church. God bless you. I love you. The Holy Spirit stopped me again from saying something I shouldn't have said. But listen, I keep telling our team, if I'm more concerned with the fallout of this church than our fallen brothers and sisters in the street, we've missed it. We've missed it. We might as well close our doors because I believe the local church is the hope of the future. I truly believe that. See, it's not going to be church as usual. We're not going back. I shared with you in January that this was kind of like generation two of Riverside. And so much has happened over the last three months that dare I say we're moving into generation 2.5 of Riverside. <laughs> See, over this time, I read a book about Winston Churchill. And before Churchill died, he had pre-planned his funeral, what he wanted to look like in St. Paul's Cathedral. And near the end, a bugler got up on one side of the cathedral and started playing taps. That universal song that says, the day's over. A chapter has come to a close. But as soon as taps was done on one side, another bugler emerged on the other, playing Reveille. As a way to say, it's not over, we're just getting started. See, and I believe we as a church, it's time to get up. It's time to rise up. It's time to get up and impact our community like never before. They're looking towards us 
to help them, to give them hope, to give them a future. See, today we kick off the next chapter of Riverside Community Church, and y'all, I'm scared to death. Hardest message I've ever given. Because some of you are so comfortable that you're like, I, I can't buy into that. Too much on the line. And every time I started to write Michael Richardson's words rather than the Lord's words, he always stopped me dead in my tracks. And as I was working on this message, those times where I would get scared, he kept bringing back to mind that old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And see, each time I kept coming to that verse near the middle, though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. See, today, it may just be me. It may just be my family. And next week we turn up and it's the rich of five in the front row. But every time I started to let my mind go to that place, the Lord said, no, Michael, there are going to be people that are committed to this church like never before. So today, I'm going to ask. Today, we put our stamp in the ground and say no matter what comes against us, we're going to be a light in our community. We're going to love people the way that Jesus loves each and every one of us. And we're going to make it our mission to share that love, to share that light wherever we go. And so today I'm going to ask you, and I hate doing stuff like this because some of y'all follow by example. But today, if that's you, I'm in. Whatever it looks like, I'm in. I believe I want to be a part of Generation 2.5. Whatever the cost to my reputation, whatever the cost is, I want you to get up on your feet right now. See, my, my, my friend, Russ, that I grew up with, I thought a lot about him lately. I've tried to track him down unsuccessfully so far. But this whole idea of unity keeps coming back to me. And one day, a couple of years later, Russ moved away from our neighborhood. And he came up to me and he said, Michael, thank you for being my friend when no one else would. See, I believe that's what unity is. You want to have an anagram for unity? It's you and I thank you. It's you and I thank you. 
That's what it is. And every single morning, I wake up and the first thing that I say to the Lord is thank you for giving me another day. Thank you. Because I know not everybody is so lucky. I know not everybody gets the luxury of getting another day here on earth. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me breath to breathe, breath in my lungs. And so anytime I come to a worship service like this, or even in the privacy of my own home, I never want to forget the breath that God has put in my lungs and I'm going to worship him for the rest of my life. See, George Floyd, he no longer has that privilege. Gasping for air. I can't breathe. As long as God has given me breath, I'm going to worship him. Eight minutes, 46 seconds, that man was pinned down, gasping for his mom and gasping for breath. The least I can do with what God has given me is I'm going to worship like never before. So here's what we're going to do well over time, and none of y'all should be surprised. But here's what we're going to do. For the next eight minutes and 46 seconds, we are going to use every breath we have to worship our Creator, to worship our Savior, to say, Lord, no matter what comes against us, we believe that you're stronger. We believe that you are still in control of this nation. You are still in control of this country. And we will do whatever we can as a church to be on the front line to fight against injustice, to fight for unity. We're not looking back. Though no one join me, so I will follow. I've decided to follow Jesus. I love you so, so much.